Welcome to the Dental MBA podcast, focusing on strategies for dental business owners and leaders to grow thriving and profitable practices. This podcast is powered by eAssist Dental Solutions, the nation's leading platform for outsourced dental billing and revenue cycle management services. All guests have been invited to share their insights based on their knowledge and expertise in the business of dentistry. Their opinions and recommendations are their own, and you should consult with your own professional advisors with respect to your own practice. Welcome to the Dental MBA podcast sponsored by eAssist Dental Solutions. I'm Penny Reed, your host, and I'm super excited today to have Janesh Patel with Uptime Health with us. And uh, boy, are you guys in for a treat if you're always looking uh, to think differently about things in your dental business. I believe today is one of those episodes. So uh, Janesh, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, awesome. So I've learned so much uh, in our introductory conversations, uh, things that even after many, many years, uh, several decades, too many decades uh, probably to count uh, in dentistry, uh, about an aspect of uh, dental and medical businesses that I think gets overlooked um, in our, what shall we say, production-driven world. So I would love for you uh, to tell us you know, how you got into this space uh, and what led you, you know, even into the dental aspect of what it is that, that you do at Uptime Health. Oh, yeah. It's more like how long you have to hear the story, but I'm going to do my best to kind of condense it to where uh, anyone can listen and not kind of wander off. So basically, for for us, the way we got started is I used to work at big health systems and manage all of their medical equipment, compliance and health departments, understand when it made sense to purchase items and not. Uh, while at that health system, we started acquiring a lot of these urgent cares and you know, more community-based hospitals to feed into our health system at the same time. That was a strategy everyone was doing. So part of my job, I had to go audit them and understand how are they taking care of their equipment and compliance related to it. And as I was doing that, every time I went into a new urgent care, no one really had a really good idea of how the equipment was being managed or what their best protocols or compliance were. They weren't tracking it well. They were doing their best with what they had. Um, But it was very obvious to me that it wasn't something that was top of mind. And someone who is a biomedical engineer like myself and who does this for health systems, it was kind of concerning because I was like, wait a minute, if you think about healthcare, it's a combination of a patient, a provider, and some instrument. There's almost no care today provided without an instrument. So it's such a critical variable that how are you ignoring this? Because without that variable, you're rescheduling patients, you're not providing service, you're actually not billing, so you're missing revenue. Uh, so it was kind of one of those why is this happening moments? And then I I thought about it and I realized it's because they're office managers, nurses, front desk people. Those are the people who operate, live and breathe inside there besides doctors. And they're really good at patient care. But they're such a small building that they don't have the need or even the finance to support somebody like me in-house, making sure they understand what they're doing and why it's important. So I bring all this up because at the end of the day, it wasn't a one like point problem. It was every urgent care or local, you know, outpatient kind of clinic I visited had the exact same one. And I realized there was no products out there to help them. And they were just relying on external technicians to kind of come and tell them when things were broken, like what to do. And so we decided to build up time health. So the way we got into dental, so this kind of creates that segue is we started the company 
trying to help urgent care and surgical centers because that was very close to my background. So I didn't really have to retrain myself. I knew the stuff inside and out. Um, and we launched our first product of you know our software tool around November, December, 2019. And I think you see where this is going. So we basically started getting some clients and everything. And then March, 2020 hits. And our, our industry just goes away overnight. And by goes away, their focus was patient care and survival of these COVID patients and PPE, even though our product could help support ventilators and a lot of things that were important to providing care, they were too busy firefighting and they couldn't deploy new technology, you know, that would take some training and everything. And we completely understood it. So for about a year, because we couldn't predict the end of COVID, everyone thought it was a two month thing early on, right? Oh, it's going to go away in a couple of months. And we did start seeing a little bit of value. Then the second wave hit, then the third wave hit, then Omicron came. And so at some point, me and my co-founder looked at each other and said, we can't build a business on an industry that we have no idea when it's going to reactivate. So we looked around because we always had the thesis that anyone who owns medical or kind of patient care related instrumentation that doesn't have an in-house person like me could be a client of Uptime Health. And you start listing that. It's dental, optometry, veterinary, laboratory, med spa. Like, you know, the list actually starts getting pretty long. And it's really, okay, let's go try another industry. And out of all of them, dentistry kind of surfaced. Um, because we realized one, there's like 120,000 dental practices. Don't quote me on that, but that's kind of what I feel like I read. Yes. And yes. That, that, that's what I hear too. Somewhere, give or take some thousands, maybe. Yes. And you know how shocking that is to somebody who's not in dentistry? Like I come from the world where urgent care looked like it was booming, but there's only 10,000 urgent cares, you know, we're, we're, when there was ASCs, these ambulatory surgical centers, like booming, but there's like 9,500 of those. So when you see this number of 120,000, you're almost like that can't be real. And so when we, when we dug into it, it was totally real. And then also there's a lot of consolidation happening, which means it's actually more reason to buy our product. So we decided to go learn about dental around, you know, October, November, 2021 is when we decided that's where we're going to start educating ourselves. And so since then, you know, around mid 2022, once we learned who the players were, I have a lot of funny stories about not knowing anybody in dental and not knowing who Patterson is and stuff like that. And, and, uh, we finally got our footing and now here we are. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. And and when you think about too, because, uh, you know, sometimes dentistry does function like urgent care. Uh, yeah. And then outside of a pandemic, there's so much focus because of the high expense per operatory, you know, on making sure that every hour is productive, that it's scheduled properly, you know, getting the patients there. And to your point, uh, you know, sometimes there are things that happen like a power outage that that is unavoidable. Uh, right. Yet there isn't, you know, if there is focus on maintenance and compliance, it's usually more in the realm of what needs to be done today or what needs to be done this week or a monthly checklist, not necessarily the, you know, longevity or uh, how often some other maintenance should be done. And in the many, many years that I spent as a consultant, it really was not, you know, there really wasn't a whole lot of talk about. Now, there may have been something about, oh, you know, well, this chair is X number of years old. And, but it was usually an issue of it won't go up or back anymore, you know, right. not, not in anticipating, wow, I had, I didn't have any money set aside for, you know, a new autoclave. I didn't know that this would be happening. So this is one of those, um, 
you know, I think hidden things, you know, that's in every single practice. Uh, it's amazing that you uncovered that. And, and I'm still surprised. Uh, <laughs> I, I totally believe you when I think about urgent care, that there aren't more of those, you know, I would have thought it, that it might've been the opposite, uh, that there could have been more urgent care centers. So that's, uh, that's yeah, amazing and, and very that visionary. That number comes from like 2018, 2019. So maybe there's a couple thousand more, but it couldn't be yeah. more than 15,000 max today. But like, it's really like 10% of dental. <laughs> That's the crazy part. That is so crazy. So you've you've already illustrated a little bit of this. Um, and I'd love for you to share more, um, more of the reasons from what you've seen, right? You know, beneath just the surface of, hey, it's important uh, to care about your equipment management, but can you delve a little bit more into, and it may even be kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly, you know, to to, to illustrate in the dental industry uh, why it's so important for you know the business owners, you know, the entire dental team to really care about the equipment management. Oh, absolutely. I mean, because this is the stuff I live and breathe. So at the end of the day, you know. Quality equipment produces quality care. There's just a direct correlation. And, and the way I say that is, in a good analogy, is if something's not calibrated, you can't trust the numbers or what it's telling you. And if you are making decisions for your patient based on numbers that you can't verify because you haven't calibrated or something like that, then the patient care is ultimately affected. So that's just like the high-level analogy of why, in general, you should care. Now, from when you think about it as a dentist or an owner of their practice, that uptime is very critical. I think a lot of people, you know, think about at least when it comes to preventative type items, like, well, I only spend a few thousand dollars a year on maintenance, you know, in repair. So it's not really that big of a deal. You know, I do good enough that I don't have to put this as top of mind and I can see my machines and they look kind of good, you know, like, so I don't need to really be more proactive, but sometimes they forget that even if that repair might be $500 or a thousand for instance, it's really what else just happened in your practice? One, were you not able to serve patients? And if that's the case, you didn't bill for that revenue. So that's a missed revenue, which is more valuable and more expensive than the actual repair cost. Then you have the fact that your team in your office has to now work around that problem. Like if they had, let's say one operatory of your five or your seven is down, well, now your team has to remind, you know, their workflows kind of change. They have their day scheduled. And so they're kind of experiencing a little bit of extra quote unquote burnout. Right. Dealing with issues that aren't part of their day-to-day -day workflow. So it's the work around burnout that you're starting to create there. And the third is, you know, if you think about just making sure that these things are always up and running and, you know, you're doing the quality maintenance and QC behind it, usually they last longer and you can actually you know, use that asset to produce more revenue for a longer period of time. So you're not cycling it through as much. You're actually creating more ROI for that purchase. And so there's a lot of these like tangential things that kind of spread out that might be hidden. You know, when you just think about maintenance and repair, like why is that such a big deal? It's really the the tentacles that come down uh, on top of it. And then you think of DSOs. DSOs, that now number is compounded. When maybe one office might figure out a repair like once a quarter, great. But if you're a DSO that has a hundred offices, that means there's probably a repair, a couple of repairs happening every week, you know, like, and yeah. so it's, it's a more pronounced issue that can really result in a lot more, you know, benefit for doing it better. Yeah. I love that. And and it's also the, the uh, ability to be proactive and, 
um, potentially handle some of these things when you weren't planning on being in the office anyway, right? Or only having uh, the the team members there that are necessary to do that maintenance. I had this light bulb come on that that didn't even happen for me when we were talking earlier. Um, it's it's the same way for the dental patients, right? And why we in a general practice or a pediatric practice or a perio practice want the patients to come in for their uh, recare evaluations is it's a whole lot less expensive. And, and, you know, we could even talk about the insurance companies for a bit because according to a lot of their tables, and I'm not defending them at all, right? I mean, I, it's a love-hate relationship with the dental insurance companies. Yet a lot of the reason that many of them justify keeping that annual maximum at $1,500 is because a lot of people don't utilize it. Um, you know, and if people did come in routinely for that recare and had a little bit of something done every year, for a lot of them, they wouldn't need more than $1,500 a year. But the challenge is, you know what I'm saying? They don't have a something like Uptime Health uh, in their own, you know, dental health where yeah. they're, they're taking care of things as they go. One thing that you touched on that, that I, I do think is, is worth looking at a little bit further, something that you mentioned. So if you have a $5,000 repair and it actually shuts the practice down, you know, or, or, or causes, you know, some, some downtime, so to speak, is the dollars that it takes to produce, right? The additional 5,000, you know, so, you know, depending on what your overhead is, let's just say that might be three times that, you know, it could, it could be more or less. Um, so that, that could be another $15,000 in revenue needed to cover all the overhead to pay for the $5,000 thing, not to mention all of the other. And I'm sure that you probably have case studies on things like this. So this is one of the reasons why I wanted to bring it up, um, not to mention the additional revenue that needs to be driven to make up for all of the missed chair time that you had. So, you know, I'm, I'm just would love to hear you, you know, speak to more of that. I don't know if you have any uh, examples or, or uh, illustrations. I'm sure you do, whether they're from urgent care or from dental, but would love to hear more about that. Yeah, I think it's one of those people, again, don't you, I want to touch one point back on what you said earlier about the, the preventative care that dental professionals, you know, espouse to their patients. It's, you know, they already are in the mindset that preventative care is the best way to care about something, your teeth, mm -hmm. your hygiene, your, just your person. Mm -hmm. So making that leap to your equipment shouldn't be that difficult, but it seems to be uh, for some reason, because it's all about, you know, just that missed revenue, the more expensive moment later on that you could have avoided. So there's a lot of things when we, when we look at this and give, you know, groups, the ROI more or less about, you know, what we do is we're saying we're basically protecting your most valuable assets that make sure that you as a doctor are up and running. And if you have to remake up that patient volume or that revenue that you missed because of that down, what did you do? You might have to pay your staff overtime. You might have to, you know, actually cram more in a day later, again, going to that burnout issue. And the reason I want to bring that up is that's that the common thread problem across all healthcare, dental, medical, optometry, you, you name it, is burnout and turnover which they're directly correlated. And if you think about the ways that you can reduce it, one is investing in your team, which is, you know, there's lots of ways to do that. But then it's also making sure you're not compounding that problem with just office-related problems. If your team comes into your office 
and the stuff's always breaking down or always seems to be old or ragged you're not taking care of do you think that team member wants to continue to work there when they go to the other dental office that's like a few blocks away and go work there where they might be taking care of their stuff so there's a lot of things that i think when i look at it and the way that we talk about it is more about this is just good for you as a Mm -hmm. business owner Mm -hmm. Team's going to be less burnt out. You're going to have less turnover. If you have a maintenance or plan or software like ours in place, then even if you do have turnover, it's automating to make sure that knowledge isn't lost. Whenever office managers used to know everything, they're like your micro CEO, right? They're like, they know everything, how this thing lives and breathes. As soon as they might find another job where they get burnt out, Mm -hmm. that local knowledge goes with them. And you have to then t- spend how much more time? So not even just talk about missed patient revenue, spending more time getting that back, more time retraining your staff, getting them back up to speed to learn all how we do things here. And so having tools in place to automate that, there's lots of different buckets where, you know, that future time where it comes to hours spent that you shouldn't have been spending adds up. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I'm, I'm also thinking, uh, I tend to get back in my consulting brain uh, when, when, uh, I do these uh, podcast interviews, which is, which is fun, right? It's very fun for me. Uh, So around this time of year, which can be done anytime, but it was usually around this time of year when I would, um, we would have already begun to wrap up forecasting and annual planning for next year uh, for the practices that I worked with and, you know, forecasting, not only, you know, the goal setting, what are, you know, what are our next targets? And then we would, we would, we would have a list, right. Of what do we think that we might need to buy? Right. But it was very emotional driven, right. I mean, there might've been a little bit of evidence that the autoclave kept breaking that, you know, just using that as an example. Um, So I'd love to hear, you know, because as, as, you know, the business of dentistry evolves, right? It's evolved. We now have better ways to measure things exactly like what Uptime Health does. Um, how how do you partner with the practices that you work with to kind of show them, hey, this is something, you know, a, a metric or dollars that you may want to plan for, you know, in the next 12 months, in the next 24 months, so that they're not surprised with the dollars that they may need to invest in their you know, future technology maintenance um, or equipment maintenance. I, I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, that's actually, you know, half of what we do and why people love using us is, so our a product like ours, you know, when we first work with any client, we first help you understand what do you even own? You can't even imagine how many people don't even can answer that question. Like, sure. I can't tell you the make model serial numbers, how many hand pieces I have, because they're always bought, replaced, repaired, they're out for work, you know, whatever it looks like. So we tell them, okay, we're going to come in and tell you what you own, make, model, serial number, where it lives in your practice. So at least you have this sense of this is what I'm responsible for. Mm-hmm. And now that we know what you own, we work with these manufacturing distributors to find best practices to say, how are we supposed to maintain this thing? So you don't have to do any of this work. We tell you here the daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, annual things you should be doing. Um, so that way, again, you create that longevity and have good maintenance practices. Mm-hmm. And then when something breaks down, you can click a button in our tool and you dispatch a service vendor to come out and repair it. And we can mine that data too. So we can tell you how much did you just spend on that repair. So like the reason I bring this up is as part of the natural behavior of using our tool, which is, yes, I did that task, just clicking yes. Right. So we know how often you're actually doing your 
true QC and PMs in the clinic side. Like I did do my spore samples. I did purge my water lines. I've been doing all those things. And then when anytime you need a repair, you click a button in our tool, we're measuring that. How often is that thing failing? Is how often are you clicking that button? How old is this machine? Because we have a sense of when was the manufacturer year? When was the purchase? What was the purchase cost? So we use all these data points just from the natural behavior using our tool that says it's this old. It fails this much. And we benchmark that across our entire client population. So we can say on average, this thing fails two more times, you know, in the next year, because you're on your fourth year, on the fifth year, it fails usually twice, according to all the clients we have. Mm-hmm. So you can start kind of forecasting expense and spend and downtime. And then we use that data to then create what we call watch list and replace list calculators. So we can say, based on the cost of ownership, the failure rate, all these things, these are things you put on a watch list, meaning it's about 50-50. If you have enough cash at the end of the year and you want to reduce your tax liability or whatever that looks like for you, you might want to look at replacing these things. Here are the things that are legitimately on a replace list, meaning they make no more financial sense to own. Like they are way past their end of life. They're already fully depreciated. It's going to fail probably a few more times the next year. So you should you should forecast that. And you can click a button in our tool and get a list of all those items and what you paid for them last time. So I know, you know, product pricing changes year over year. So I'm not negating that, but at least it gives you a sense of how much did I spend for these kinds of machines and what should I forecast? And you get that to your CFO and they're smarter than I am to say, okay, that means we probably need to put a, $20,000 aside for a new XYZ. Mm-hmm. And so on. And I, and I bring all of this up because you said something very interesting earlier. A lot of these decisions before our tool existed were made with people's gut feelings, their emotion attached to it, how frustrated they are with how it looks or how much it breaks down. And if you think about the fact that we're the only company doing this, and you think about how big Shine, Patterson, Benko, all the distributors are, and they're the ones that sell capital equipment. That means these billions of dollars are being spent in this industry by emotion. And if I can bring data to help support the decision, who spends a billion dollars on their gut emotion? Because that's what the industry is doing. Right, right. It's, it's either their gut emotion or a crisis, right? Right, it's, so use some data yeah. to, to help you figure that out. And then it just like, so from our point of view, it just makes so much sense. Like, why are people not doing this? And so like, educating the market that we even exist, I think is step number one. Step number two is help them get out of their own way because sometimes it's really that startup, like, oh my gosh, I don't have time to put into this. That's why we come in and just do it for you. You don't have to lift a finger. We'll actually tag your stuff. We'll put it in our tool. We'll set it up so Mm -hmm. you can go day one. And so that's kind of how we're trying to get beyond that one moment of, I just don't have time. Even though I want to do it, I don't have time. Well, I I sometimes, well, I use analogies a lot and sometimes they may be a little bit far-fetched, but one of them that I talk about with the dental practice is, um, you know, at, at whatever, at whatever size, you know, but every day is like a Broadway production, right? When we're, when we're open, you know, we're open for business. There's no business like small business starring, <laughs> right? Then you have all of your cast, you know, you have your, your, your lead uh, actors and actresses, you know, the dentists, you know, the ones that are on this, on the stage, you know, the most, uh, with patient care, the hygienist assistants and the, the, the front facing admin team, right. And then you have your, your back office things. And then, uh, you know, where you may have people that are helping carry props out. And then you've got the other ones that are making sure that all the lighting and everything is working. So you guys are like the behind the scenes partner, um, you know, in that, that are making sure, uh, that 
you know, that everything can happen, that the, the stage set, you know, is set properly and that, and that everything can function. Um, and it's again, amazing to me that it's just one of these things that after years and years of being in here and once you and I first talked, I thought, holy, holy smokes, <laughs> of course this makes sense. And, um, how, how come nobody thought of it? And maybe they did, they just couldn't figure out, you know, how to scale it. So I would love, you've, you've mentioned this a couple of different times. And if you could maybe go into a little bit more detail, when you said we come in and we do it for you, you actually send a representative from your team to come in and, you know, inventory, so to speak, what they have, figure out how long it's been there, itemize it and put it into your software system, correct? So there's not that there's not something that the office needs to do, but it's not like they're having to take a week and go right. through and comb all this stuff and do it. Um, so t tell me more, a little bit more about how that works. Yeah. And, and, I, and I want to preface this by saying you can totally do it yourself. We just have never seen anyone want to do it themselves. So like, I, I agree with you. I don't think that most want to. Yeah. So we built the tool where it's like, if you don't want us to come in and do all that and you feel like, you know what you're doing, you can totally do it. And we're not going to, you know, lose sleep either way. Now. So when you talk about, do we come in, my team comes in, I mean, it used to be legitimately me at the beginning. I would go sure was. every employee, at least for the first 10 employees, did it themselves because we didn't have a team. Now, when that we're a little bit bigger, we've actually partnered with people like whether it's technician groups, right? professional asset taggers. We have these you know, relationships that we built mm -hmm. and work with the client's existing vendor. So like, let's say they do use one of these big distributors and they have teams that come and do this for them because they have those relationships. It's like, great let them do it and give us the data. So either we have groups that will dispatch on their behalf that we trust, that we know that we vetted, you know, from other clients and what we've seen, mm -hmm. or we can use one of their existing distributors, but we get that list. They'll come in and literally post stickers that say you have this machine, this CBCT, this sterilizer, this chair, this compressor, this vacuum, whatever it is, this handpiece, mm -hmm. they'll put a sticker on it and it will say, you know, a couple digits, and then the person who's recording it will say, okay, that digit represents what's like an asset tag. This make, model, serial number, manufacturer, whatever they can find on the machine, they'll actually kind of write it down. And then our tool will just upload that into the system. So now it's like, based on what you have, here is your accurate roster. Right. Now you have a QR code, you can go scan it. Then it'll pull up the device record in our tool. So like we we just basically turnkey it for them by, by those. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. And I love that, um, that you, you at least can facilitate getting it done for them. Like what you're talking about. And it's funny when you're saying it used to be you, um, I, our company was co-founded by, uh, a dentist and, and his business manager. So, you know, it's our CEO, Dr. Anderson is a co-founder. And for the first, I don't know, half a dozen to, you know, two dozen clients that we got, he would fly with a server like, you know, and walk in with that under his arm and go in and install that computer um, in, you know, in their office. That That is how it used to happen. So, um, yeah, it just r reminded me of whether you want to call it the good old days or, you know, bootstrapping it uh, back in the day. Um, so that's how you have to get started at some point. Absolutely. Oh, hey, same. I, I used to do it all back when I uh, had my own uh, business as well. So, you know, when, when we look at, because I, you know, it's as you grow and the more locations you have, it, it magnifies more of what the challenges can be with, you know, inventory management, equipment management, and things like that. 
Um, so for the the larger groups, which I think the principles absolutely apply to the solo practice as well, um, can you talk a little bit about how uh, having you know partnering with you and having your tool um, can can help you really uh, look at the like the macro economy, the same store growth and efficiencies, you know, a, as a metric, you know, how, how are some of the more, um, and, and I, I'm hesitant to use this term because I think sometimes it's a negative connotation yet. If, if we're in a for-profit business, like we're, if we're not running a public health, which they still, you know, can't be in the red, but, um, you know, if we're looking for, you know, that year over year growth for our asset, whether we're a, solo practitioner that's hoping to build this up and someday sell it, right? Or we have many, many locations. Um, how does this, from what you've seen, help uh, impact the measurement of the same store growth, so to speak? Yeah. And I think it's because we have this immediate bottom line impact because they don't, most people, if not all people don't do this well right now. So the fact is, if you use a tool like ours and you're actually finally having an oversight level that's kind of digitized and easy to monitor and maintain. And if you think about the DSOs, you have a lot of stores and a lot of locations in different geographies. It's hard enough for you at the corporate level to know where every one of your store is doing what they're supposed to be doing, like the daily, weekly, monthly maintenance things that allow your equipment to last longer. So not just as it lasts longer, but it reduces failure as well. So about 10 to 20% reduction in failure. So if you think about that, you get that immediate reduction and you know operational disruption, missed revenue, you know the cost of the repair itself. So all those things that we talked about, and that alone just immediately lifts the bottom line. Mm -hmm. Then you look at the fact that borrowing, when you go to the macro level, <laughs> has become more expensive than ever. Sure. And so that means you have to do with more with the assets that you currently have because you don't want to spend that money on just buying new things that are going to replace a little bit later. But the longer you can make this stuff last, your investment dollar goes further mm -hmm. and you can protect what you own instead of having to buy new, which they would normally just be okay with. So like the dollar gets squeezed, but we're allowing you to kind of like reopen it up a little bit. Right. And, and lastly, like, because our tool kind of educates people on, you know, how they're doing, like, are they doing those daily, weekly, monthly things? And it also trains them in real time on how to do it. So like, let's say, you're a brand new dental assistant. You just got hired or a hygienist. Mm -hmm. You don't know how to do these items for this one office. Cause I've never seen this manufacturer or, you know, this is my first time on the job. I just got hired. I, you know, I just came out of school or I just, you know, moved over from a different career. Then there's time and energy and money spent by the managers training each of those people, how to do these simple daily, weekly, monthly tasks. And so the reason we bring all these up is like, that's immediate lift on your same store. If you're not spending time, energy, and money training people on these minute tasks and then spending money on creating oversight, flying out, driving to every store to go see how are they doing, you know, are, am I looking through the binders? They do their spore samples, like the compliance experts. If we can digitize that, they've reduced the travel expense. They've reduced the time on the road. They've reduced the training time. They've reduced the missed revenue across all their stores. They've reduced the repair costs. And so the reduction of spend actually can allow you to one, create that better EBITDA margin. But then the other thing is because you're up 10 to 20% more than you were last year, that additional revenue can actually increase the top line. So it's actually, you see this two-sided event happen versus mm -hmm. 
not just reducing spend. We're not just increasing revenue. We're kind of doing this both ways. Right. People that have a, a ton of sense making that correlation. So we have to kind of explain it to them. And once you hear it, you're like, oh yeah, duh. Like you said, yeah. but it's like somebody has to almost tell you just, and then you're like that, why, of course, you know, it's like that moment that needs to happen sometimes. Well, and when you're, uh, because, you know, some of the basics that we would do with annual planning would be looking at, you know, and this would be, you know, <clears> smaller <throat> groups, bigger groups, you know, how many patient care days and provider days, you know, did we have last year, you know, based on holidays, vacations, different things like that. And so if you can look at, you know, even if you said, okay, you're saying, Janesh, you're saying 10%, but what if we said 5%? It's almost like you get another 5% bump on the number of, of provider days worked or, or total, you know, open to patient care days worked without even having to work the extra days because you're able to be uh, more efficient. So um, I love that. All right. So how does one, if I were a, a practice owner or, or owner of a group of practices, um, how would I go about, you know, I don't know if you offer a software demo or, or what's the best way for someone to find out about how to, how to work with you and more, more about what you do? No, that's a great question. So basically we have a website at some level, like everybody does nowadays, but it's like, it's uptimehealth.com, our company. Uh, you can request a demo. We have great sales reps that will talk you through it. Um, and there's, we're actually going to launch a little click through version. So you can kind of play around with it on yourself, like on the website. So you can kind of try it a little bit before you even need a demo. Cause we don't want, we don't want to waste anyone's time. People need to be focusing on patient care. And that is the most important thing mm -hmm. so for us. Our biggest, our biggest thesis inside of our company is we should not be disrupting patient care. All we should be doing is adding to it mm -hmm. and supporting it. So if that means reducing the amount of time people need to spend on demos with us, like what does that mean? Better collateral, better handouts. Do you want to do a demo? We're happy to do as many demos as you want. Like we have sales teams that will do it. Um, we even give you a little try it before you buy it kind of situations where we'll say, don't have to sign up for all your offices at once, sign up for one or two for, and you get a free opt-out period if you don't like it. Mm -hmm. And so our goal is just to support it, but go to our website. We're at a lot of shows. Uh, we have partners that are out there that are starting to kind of help us, you know, support whether it's consultants that are doing compliance consulting or just office growth consulting. So there's a lot of ways to access us, but don't, never feel shy to hesitate to reach out to us. Okay. That is so awesome. Well, Thank you so much for uh, for your time. I, I love this. I love uh, learning new things. And um, this just goes to show this amazing uh, dental industry. Well, medical as well. But right, since since we're, we have a dental audience, uh, just continues to change like so rapidly. And, and what a timely uh, software and service that you've come up with uh, to you know, help bring peace of mind and profitability to these practices so that they can focus on doing what they, you know, what they originally went to school for, right? Which is uh, patient care and dentistry. So that's <laughs> fantastic. Um, well, thank you, thank you so me. much. It's been a pleasure to meet you. Is there any other, uh, so, th so the listeners, the viewers can go uh, and go to your website, uptimehealth.com, other ways for them to uh, follow you on on social media or other things that you have going on that that people may want to look into. Yeah, we we're always posting on LinkedIn, so you can find me, follow us as a company. Um, so we send out a lot of updates and information there. So anytime we come out with a new press release on our website, you can also just subscribe to our newsletter. And anytime we release a new feature, because we're always innovating. And I think the best thing is talk to our clients. Like 
they'll tell you that we listen, like we will be there with you to make sure you're successful. We know adoption is so tough when it comes to introducing new technology into the office. But what we take pride in is we dedicate operations teams to be extensions of your teams, to support you, to make sure that they're adopting it, to make sure that there's education and resources and training as many times as you need. So never hesitate to kind of reach out, but we built our entire company on collaboration with our clients, not be, not saying we built this, so you got to use it. It's what do you need right. to be better? And that's what we're going to build next. I love that. I love that. Well, again, thank you so much, Janesh. Uh, appreciate your time. Love uh, what you guys are up to. And, and thank you for being with us and sharing your message and your wonderful uh, company information with us. I appreciate it. Thanks, Penny. Thanks for having us. Uh, take care. The Dental MBA podcast is sponsored by eAssist Dental Solutions, a platform dedicated to helping dentists get paid faster and get paid more. Dental insurance billing services provided through the eAssist platform can relieve your dental insurance headaches, get your over 90 day insurance receivables near zero, and help you collect 100% of what you're rightfully owed by insurance companies. To learn more about how the eAssist platform can solve your revenue cycle management needs or to schedule a free consultation, please visit dentalbilling.com.